This week, I'm joined by the incredible RJD20 to talk about player character cameos, how to get them in your games using old player characters, and do it right to not overshadow your current PCs. Welcome to We Speak Common. And welcome to another episode of the D&D podcast for everyone, because here we speak common. Very much getting it spot on this time, because Sam keeps telling me off every time I say it wrong. Uh, today, of course, this show, as ever, is brought to you in association with two wonderful partners. Uh, the Dice Dungeon, who are your one-stop shop for gorgeous D&D dice, as well as other D&D paraphernalia like books and spell cards and the like. Uh, you can have a look at their whole uh, stock by heading to the description of this episode there'll be a link there you can either click it or copy and paste it depending on what platform you're on and it should automatically apply at 10 off your entire basket with the code we speak common if it doesn't tap that code in and you get 10 off everything you're buying uh, the other partner to the show is describe describe is spelled d-s-c-r-y-b and if you hit a dot com at the end of that you can head to the website and have a look at some amazing brilliantly crafted in-world flavor text that you can use in your homebrew games. Descriptive writing for locations, spells, creatures, and they're adding more every single week. There's over 1,500 scenes right now. You can get a look at a load of them for free, but if you want a full collection, there's a subscription base, and you can get 10% off that every single month with the code COMMON at checkout. Of course, there is a uh, link in the description below for that too. The only other people I have to mention, I have to, because... They have a direct line to me and they will tell me off if I don't. Are the beautiful patrons who chat to me every day over in the Discord server. If you want to get access to that and other things that we put out like game rules, classes, adventure notes, stuff like that, then head over to our Patreon, which you can find via all the social media, you know, Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, we're everywhere. It's 2021. That's how it works. Um, but with all that said and done, I am today joined by a brand new guest. and I'm very, very excited for this one because he's just told me he used to be an actual knight. Hello, RJ. Hey, Ben, how are you doing today? I'm really good. I'm I've been meaning to reach out to more people and get more guests on the show again, because it's been a bit of a weird, hectic few months and uh, everyone's bored of hearing Sam and Wesley and James, I'm sure. Um, don't tell them that. <laughs> and then you messaged me and I was like, yes, absolutely. Please come and chat to me. So I'm really, really excited. I'm, I'm looking forward to this discussion. I've been practicing my common. So mm -hmm. I think, I think I'm ready for what we're going to discuss today. I mean, you sound pretty good now, but I mean, if any Elvish slips in, don't worry, we'll, I'll, I'll translate it in post. It's fine. I've been known to slip into abyssal during, uh, D and D games. Commonly. Oh, okay. So if I start right. chanting, just. Just, you know, I've given you my true name. Yeah. You'll know how to stop me. Yeah, I will. Um, I'll make sure not to put your true name out as well. Just, Thank just you. to be safe. Thank um, you for before that. Before we, like, jump into anything, do you want to uh, tell the lovely people who you are and what you do on the internet? Sure. So, my name's RJ. I am a writer over at rjd20.com, where I primarily try to help out dungeon masters in running the best possible D&D game that they can while creating compelling worlds. I base most of the advice that I write on my own D&D &D games in the style of the ancient Chris Perkins column, The Dungeon Master Experience, 
Oh, that really yes. did. Yep, that inspired me back in 2018 to start. And Chris Perkins himself really kicked everything off because my first article, I tweeted it out with maybe five followers. And somehow Chris Perkins saw it and retweeted it, got a whole bunch of traction and really just spurred me to action. And ever since I've been writing on RJD20, making a few YouTube videos, and I've tried to start publishing supplements too. released my last one, my first one last year. And, you know, I just want to connect with other uh, content creators. And this is really my first foray into doing that. So I'm really excited to talk to you today, Ben. Yeah, awesome stuff. I think that um, it's kind of like we're, we're so in, like linked up because what you do is basically what, what I try and do over here, but in the written format. And yep. I'm just like, I'm not smart enough to write. I'll just say words and hope they make sense. <laughs> <laughs> That's kind of how I do it. But I love it. I am um, that Chris Perkins facts. Uh, Chris Perkins factors made me smile because he is I probably the uh, the first DM that I properly yeah like fell in love with. Um, if he retweeted the podcast, I think I'd probably cry. We can we can make it happen. Let's, I mean, we let's we can try. For it. <laughs> we get everybody just tweet Chris Perkins, <laughs> and um, and all he has to do is retweet it, and then we'll stop bothering him. Exactly. Okay. So when we were chatting, I had um I had a quick scroll through some of your uh your articles to find one that I really want to talk about, and one that like really stood out to me is something that I do all the time in my games but i and i think i've mentioned it a few times on the show but i don't think i've ever really talked about it um so i i didn't read it properly because i want to hear it from you <laughs> so bear that in mind but we're going to talk about having player characters or former player characters cameo in the games you're running and straight off the bat i'm a big advocate for this and i love it and I know that some people will think it's really cringy, but I think it is one of the best things you can do. I completely agree with you. We play Dungeons and Dragons for quite a while, right? People mm. don't usually just hop into the hobby, play a few sessions and then leave it. A lot of us are decades long players, if not probably going to be lifetime long players. So I think one of the coolest things that you can do is if you, especially if you play with the same core group of people, or a variety of folks in a friend group. If you can showcase the impacts the player characters have made in the world in different campaigns, one shots, adventures, and even have them show up and, you know, highlight what they've done, who they are now, you know, have stories of them emerge in your world organically. The looks on my players' faces are just so illuminating when I do this, when I do this the right way. And I think that's something we can talk about. A lot of D&D right, advice can be taken in the wrong way or the right way. And this especially needs to be used with great care because old player characters, it's, it's really easy for them to show up and outshine the current ones, right? Mm. See, I think... When I think of cameos in fantasy works, I immediately go to two popular culture films. Okay? okay. So I think let's let's see if this this works out. So I think a good former player character cameo is Doctor Strange and Thor Ragnarok. Yeah. All right. He shows up five to eight minutes. 
He shows that he's badass. He has an impact on the world. He's kind of mysterious, makes you ask questions. Ooh, how is he doing this? What is he doing? It makes sense that he's there, right? Mm-hmm. And he doesn't steal the spotlight. Mm-hmm. He's there more as an advocate, as uh, an assistant to progress the story. Bad cameo. What should have been a cameo. <laughs> Legolas in the Hobbit trilogy. Yes. That is textbook the incorrect way to showcase a former hero or player character. What should have been of, you know, maybe just a passing mention, right? Of Legolas. Maybe we see the blonde hair, okay? Mm. Turned into this <laughs> member of the party, pretty much, that overshines everybody, gets all these awesome action sequences, and really doesn't contribute to the story of, of the true characters. He, if you think about it, like, what does Legolas really do that contributes to that story, right? Mm. Anything? No, no. I mean, uh, when I think of Legolas in The Hobbit, all I think of him is defying <laughs> gravity. Leaping up those stone steps, man. Yeah, that couldn't happen. It couldn't happen. Yeah, so, so I just... Those immediately leap out to me as easy examples. But in D&D itself, I think there's a few different ways. Three ways in particular that mm-hmm. you can go about showcasing the, you know, effects or the physical manifestations of former player characters. And those are tales of their exploits, remnants of the past, and actual physical cameos of the player characters. So did you, get, did you want to dive into each one of those and kind of discuss them, see if we've done it in our games at all? Or? Absolutely. And I'll be really interested to see where you, where you sort of characterize my use of okay. cameos. Because I, when I do cameos, I'm, yeah. so, so I'm, very, I'm much less linear about it. I'm like... Yep. Okay, so I guess for back background, I mean, I've, I've talked about this loads, but all of my games take place in the same universe, right? So yep. if, let's say, for example, right now I'm running Tomb of Annihilation. If I go and run Rhyme of the Foster Raiden when that's done, in my version of Faerun, that happens in that series of events, right? So I'm not following the published yeah. order. I'm not follow, following the, the year order of Faerun. It's the order that the games happen. So Excellent. the characters in... Tomb Annihilation, and let's remember my players stay the same for every game with the addition and subtraction of maybe one uh, yeah. every year or something, and that doesn't happen often. Not every year. Like I think we've the 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 group has changed only very recently for the first time in like nine years. So that's yeah, um, that's quite the streak. Yeah, we're we're I've I constantly say I'm incredibly lucky to have the group that I've got, but the guys playing their characters in Tomb of Nation, that is happening after the events of Waterdeep Dragon Heist. So their characters in Waterdeep Dragon Heist, who all went on, like one of them became the apprentice to the Black Staff, one of yeah. them took over from the Xanathar, like they, they did big things. Awesome. They are very much still in Waterdeep, still doing those things from the point that we left them. And as time progresses in Tomb, time progresses in over in Waterdeep, because the whole world moves forward, so... When yeah. they go back to see those characters, they will have changed slightly. Um, so with all of that as a background, the first way I cameo players is through mentions. I think yep. it's the best way to describe it. So, for example, yep. uh, Phoebe's character in Waterdeep, Lilith, she became the master of operations for the Black Network. And in Tomb of Annihilation, the Zentarum and the Black Network can 
make regular appearances and can be as much of a moving factor as you want and so when the players and and i use meta knowledge in a and what i think is a good way here when the players Mm go oh the zentarum and the black network we know about them as players we know this this and this Mm, let's see what they're doing oh but our characters don't know that so we'll go in you know non-metary so then they non-meta role play and the 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 Zentarum or the Black Black Network members might reference the new Master of Operations in that way. They don't say, "Oh, that Lilith chick." They say, "Oh, yeah, but we've got to do it because the new Master of Operations." Ugh, roll our eyes. Mm-hmm. Ugh, what what a tool, <laughs> you know, like that kind of mention. So that's exactly. the first thing I do. Where would you put that? I would definitely put that in in the first topic I was going to discuss: tales of their exploits. So th- I think that's the most subtle way you can do it, and mm. the most attentive players will notice it. You know. They visit a tavern and the bard at the at the stage is reciting a tale of, you know, an ancient battle that occurred you know, decades ago. Mm. And their old characters are the heroes of that story. They're not directly mentioned by name, but especially if you have the same group as you have for nine years, they'll remember the time that they, you know, dropped a massive chunk of rock on the head of Yinagu, decapitated mm. the demon prince and freed all the gnolls of this world from his sway, right? They're yeah. going to know, oh, my goodness, the bard's singing about us. Oh, that's so cool. Their <laughs> characters, of course, they're not going to know that, but, you know, maybe their characters will be spurred to interest. And the new players at the table will see the excitement on the other players' faces, right? Mm. And they'll realize, too, oh, my gosh, I'm playing in a world with a dungeon master who will not just wipe away all the actions I take. Mm-hmm. This means that in the next campaign, in the next adventure, my actions and the consequences of them are going to be impacting the world in some way. And maybe in that campaign, when I walk into a tavern, I'll hear a song about my character, my former character being sung by some elven bard. So, mm-hmm. yeah, that's definitely I just that makes me so excited when I'm talking about it. Right. If I was a yeah. player, I'd love that. And my players are the same way. Like I. I I think one of the most important things you can do as a dungeon master, and this is this is in tandem with the topic, but you really need to watch your players faces, right? Mm-hmm. You need to know when they're engaged, what makes them happy, what makes them upset, you know, what triggers them, for lack of a better word. Yeah. And you really want to play off that. And this this showing cameos or, you know, tales of, of their former player characters exploits, it always makes them happy. I haven't had a time where they've been upset. And I know you can do it in the wrong way, right? As I said yeah. earlier, if you overshadow their current player characters, or when we talk about later, if, if the player character makes a cameo and it's not how that player would want their character to be, to be portrayed, of course, that can make them upset. So you really have to be confident when you enact this little, little strategy. Definitely. And I think that, so there's two things here. The first is talking about yeah. watching your players' faces. I live for sam's reactions to what i do <laughs> in DD. so he when i first met sam um yeah. it was when i went to uh, a local bbc station to talk about the podcast and talk about DD in general and he was there talking about DD too and he sort of said to me like he's like oh so how like how long have you been playing DD?" and i was like oh you know nine years and he's like oh i've been playing for like one year and i was like oh cool let's talk like let's talk about DD." yeah and we got um 
we got chatting and eventually like i think he he started messaging me on like instagram and asking me <laughs> things and then it got to the point where i went mate do you just want to play in one of my games and i remember <laughs> it was curse of strad we did um not curse of strad we did i did strad must die tonight as a halloween game and i said to him look this is a this is a test to see how you meld with the group but yep. also it's a fun halloween event so don't don't worry about it and mm-hmm. you know all my players who've been playing with me for you know at that point what was eight years um you know i i, I put on the music and i and this was online but I, I delve into like describing the thunder crack and all that and they're like yeah okay all right ben can't get on with it when do we get to play and sam's face was like a picture and i will always yeah. remember that so yes 100 percent watch your players faces and see what they like and you know see when they're engaged and use that and i think that kind of goes into that trying without trying to go off topic too much uh, a conversation i was having with some players recently about how a good dm is a good dm to their players like you have to meld your style to your players as much as you want to get your style and get your enjoyment out of it too you're a good dm to them because you do what they like like i know that Mm -hmm. james is my dm because he as a dm and a player appreciates and enjoys a lot of the same stuff that i do in D, like he loves knowing the forgotten realms lore so when a little bit of lore pops up in a game he's like oh i know what that is oh. and he loves it which is the yeah. same as me so you know whereas a player who hates forgotten realms as a uh, dm who hates forgotten realms as a setting and hates using established lore that i can know about and kind of metally have a smile about isn't going to be as good as a dm for me so there is that level too um but the other point i was going to make that you said was uh about how you know oh it's a bard that's singing of a campaign uh, of a tale that happened years ago in a different campaign so there's two levels to it you can have massive time jumps and have these you know have it so that the players mm-hmm. the former players are you know maybe they're dead or maybe they've ascended to godhood and they're not on the mortal plane anymore or whatever yeah you know, whatever happens those tales are great ways and those bard interactions and songs and storybooks and whatever they're yep. great ways of doing these cameos because in no way can they ever overshadow the players because they're not yep. there anymore. They're gone. It's a, it's an old age. Yep. Um, and I think it all if... relies. Oh, sorry. No, go on. It all relies on the interpretation the players have of it. You know, yeah. it, those, those old player characters aren't affecting the current story. This is merely there for the enjoyment of mm. the players. Of course you can craft it to have an impact on the story. Maybe it's a little bit of foreshadowing. Maybe an old foe is going to make a reappearance, but as you said, it's not going to just overshine anybody. Yeah. And then the other side of that is if, like me, you're running in a world where things are happening very linearly, linearly, mm-hmm. and, you know, one <laughs> campaign picks up right where the other drops off. I mean, when we transitioned from Waterdeep into Tomb, we ran, James and I came together and did our little duo DM, two DMs at one table, and ran the Lord's Alliance meeting from the uh, like tyranny of dragons two books oh yeah rise of tiamat yep yeah so we did that and we had their old players there but i also oh. said to the characters come with your tomb of annihilation characters because we're going to start as your water deep characters and we're going to pick up mid-session and transfer into the new characters so 
Ben, that's amazing. I love that. That's Honestly, so great. it was one of one of my proudest moments. And James and I had we planned it like a year in advance, and then we had multiple <laughs> like little meetings about how we were going to do it, and we worked out who was going to be what characters at the at, at the in the Lords Alliance. Like I had Liriel and all of and like. Um, Vajra and all of that who happened to be yep. in Waterdeep and he had all the ones that come, came from elsewhere and then we made the meeting I think the actual meeting lasted about an hour and a half in game because there was lots of discussion lots of role play and yeah um I baked in little surprises for James too which talking about cameos we'll get there hang on I don't want to go off the sidetrack <laughs> too much I'm getting excited um yep. and so they came in as their Waterdeep characters and when they talked about an issue a problem that needs to be solved which was Tomb of Annihilation and the Death Curse, and then new characters all volunteered and they all met each other and they went to one side. And then James took over as one of his characters in the Lord Alliance and set up Tyranny of Dragons, which we're going to run as well. And he's going to run that. So we basically launched three campaigns in one meeting <laughs> from that all happen, at the, the, you know, they're all happening at the same time. So yeah, um, yeah it was, that was a, a, one of my DM highlights, I think. But like I baked in a. Uh, an Elminster cameo for James because I knew he nice. loved Elminster, so I yep. had him arrive. But I never said the name Elminster. He was yeah. referred to as his other titles the whole time, and so James was there, like <laughs> slyly smiling, talking about looking at your players' faces and and, and yep. like nodding his head. And everyone else was like, "Who is this old dude? Who is he?" <laughs> and I'm like, that's "He's awesome. um, they're calling him the Sage of Shadowdale. That's what they're calling him. <laughs> that's his name." So you know, and that's one of those don't let it overshadow moments, but. Yeah, that was, uh, I don't know how we got here. What was I saying? <laughs> I'm thoroughly impressed. No, that's, that's great. That's, it's, this just using, you know, tales of their, of their former exploits. That's how we got there, you know? Yeah, that, yeah. It, it, it was a tangent, but I think it was well worth it. That's a great <laughs> story. I don't know if you told it on this podcast before, but uh, I loved it. Maybe. I know that James and I have done an episode before about how we manage running the same setting and i think we should yeah. we will do an updated one eventually as well um and like i'll when probably we'll talk about it when i get him him to talk about descent because he's running descent for me and that's yeah. like two sessions or one session away from finishing so we'll probably do an updated version on it then but yeah i don't know if that specific story has ever come out but that's um yeah that was a big moment for us definitely so we did talk about, you know, the, the lore books, the bards singing and mm. so on and so forth. The, the next category, I would say, of, you know, in the cameo space would be remnants of the past. And these aren't just songs about the characters. They're not the characters themselves. Mm -hmm. They're pieces of old adventures and campaigns that show up in the current one. So this can be anything from an old artifact that the player characters mm. might have wielded before, you know, something legendary think the hand of vecna you know yeah. passing from campaign to campaign or you know the wand of orcus uh, the book of vile darkness is one that i use in my campaigns commonly every one of my campaigns has had one of the pages of the book of vile darkness scattered in it because in my world the book was torn apart and its pages were scattered across the verse Ooh, i like that so yeah so now they're in the hands of all these powerful individuals and in lost tombs and dungeons trapped away and you know it if you're a player character in one of my campaigns you're likely going to find one of the pages so in my current campaign hasn't shown up yet but my players who played with me before they know it's coming at some point so mm. i think that's a 
that's another great thing. You know, just having multi-campaign artifacts or relics. Have you ever done anything like that in in your campaign? So yes and no. So I think another great okay. example of that, for example, is for when I cannot speak today. I'm too excited. Uh, <laughs> when in Critical Role Campaign Two, right? That yep. they found out that Ford Sword was a vestige, and they're like, "Oh my god, it's a vestige!" Yep. Great example of that. Yep. Um, for me, so in f- in the Faerun campaign I set that I run, um, I don't think I have. I'm trying to think. Okay. Uh, there have been powerful magic items, but I don't th- yeah. think I've had like artifact level relics in okay. my homebrew, like in my my own campaign setting. There is a stone called the Stone of Archon, which I promise I named before I found out about <laughs> Joe Manganello's character. Um, <laughs> that is linked to the specific one of the specific players and their like their law. They're an yeah. Azamar and they're they're meant to look after it and protect it. And they forsook yeah. it and were fallen. And eventually, it's got to the point where it's back in their hands and they have to protect it because people want it. But the stone itself is intrinsically connected to the creation myth um okay. so if you ask anyone who knows about the myth of, of creating of the world of car they'll they'll know about the stone of archon so i can foresee that coming up a lot when i decided yep. to run you know the second campaign set yeah. in idria rather than Esteroth and and have little mentions of it here and there whether it would actually show up in person um yeah depends what the players decide to do with it at the end of Esteroth, if we ever finish that campaign. Um, <laughs> but yeah, so that that's kind of along that level, but I've, it's it's underbaked right now. Okay, okay. Another another avenue of doing this too uh, that I've, I've enacted before is having a villain from a previous campaign show up in the current. And, mm-hmm. you know, it, they don't have to be villainous as they were previously. They could turn out to be a patron of the group, you know, an ally. I know... I'm guessing I've read the adventure books, but I've never run any of them. So I don't know if this actually comes up in practice, but flamboyant characters like the Xanathar and Jarloxel Banre, they mm-hmm. appear in multiple adventures. I don't know. Have you ever implemented this tactic too? Because I found that the players thoroughly enjoy when they fought against this character, you know, for you know maybe two arcs in the last campaign. Right. And then mm-hmm. they return as the benefactor of the group and, it's a different side of them and they have these old prejudices, but oh no, I can't use that against them because, oh, that was my old character. Yeah. And it's just, it just makes for this dramatic scene that is influenced from all these memories of the past. And I don't know, that's just why I love running with the same group of players too. Mm-hmm. It just, there's so much more potential for pulling on the past and creating these awesome moments. Yeah, this is definitely something that you can do when you've your group has been running for a while and it's yep. and and that's why i refer to it as like good meta knowledge like it's good meta gaming because yep. it's the type that gives them a smile as a player you know in writing we'd call it dramatic irony right yep, yep. but in dnd it's meta um that meta isn't a bad word it's just a thing and there can be bad uses of meta and good uses on both the player and dm side and i think this is a good use of it but um yeah so for me I I painstakingly set up Manchun in <laughs> okay. Dragon Heist as a because obviously Manchun, if you don't know his law, um, there are many clones of Manchun and there could be many. So you know, if you put Manchun down in a campaign and the characters 
brutally kill him as they did mine you can bring him back at any point and it's just a different it's different it's a different clone of manchun and he's a different person with a different personality which is a lot of fun but i went to the 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 hassle of rewriting a lot of manchun and making him this kind of uh what's the word Uh, you could understand where he was coming from and why he was doing certain things and so his storyline which again relatable yeah that's that that's it thank you um you're welcome (laughs) i was gonna i'm gonna do an episode at some point talking about the plot line that i've built for dungeon of the mad mage because it linked into that so i have basically Oh God, we go down so many tangents, but it's it's good fun, isn't it? Manchun, so. that Manchun lost his arm in a duel with Halister Blackcloak, the Mad Mage. Cool. And um, if you read his lore, there is a Manchun who went down and trained with Halister, or at least went down and challenged him to a duel. So I wrote that he had gone down into uh, Undermountain in hiding met Hallister and they became good friends yeah. and all this stuff um and then the reason for Hallister going mad it was something that Manchin uh, was trying to sort of overcome for Hallister and he decided that in order to free him he would need to kill him and so they had a duel and he lost and Hallister took his arm so when the players got to him because <laughs> he's mad you know well, you know take a trophy of course. Um, when the players get to him you know every single NPC has been like Manchun's evil. He's bad. Bad person. Kill him on sight. Don't listen to him. Yeah. And I, I did that instinctively so that when they met him and they heard his story, they were like, oh, he's different. Um, <laughs> but of course, what actually happened was the players met him and went, oh, he has a staff of power and a, a cloak of the Magi and he's an evil person and everybody's told us to kill him. So let's kill him. Um, it happens. It happens. So, you know, I had a lot of plans for him to become the yeah. benefactor of the group that decided to go down into Undermountain because his whole Ooh. plan was, I want the dragons so that I can pay an adventuring party to go down into the deadliest dungeon in all of okay. the Sword Coast and put my good friend to rest and free him. And I'll talk about how that works in another episode when I break it down. Um, <laughs> and then he would have been their, their group patron, basically. Um, you know, and like Jarlaxle uh, had a... Yeah big impact on the party in that game and they i he did a lot i had to properly properly convince them as jarl axel not to kill him uh, because they had him trapped but they let him go and he will definitely come back i have plans for him to come back sounds like you portrayed jarl axel in the proper manner then oh very nice job they did strip him of every single magic item he owns oh no not the hat oh yeah the hat they put him i think they let him keep his eye patch i think that was it um they put him in a boat with him in a rowboat they rowed him to the i think it's the eye catcher is his ship in okay in uh water deep and he got on it and as he got on it he said goodbye started ordering bregendorf to uh start making sail and leave the port and the last time they saw him was him just standing on the deck of his ship watching them sail away and i was like right this man's this man's coming back at some point that's a compelling scene man that's great so i've got i'm definitely going to be doing that a lot sweet yeah it it works it 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 totally works so anybody listening to this try it out because Mm. this 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 is compelling stuff, especially if you have the same group. And even if you don't, even if it's not the exact same, right? Even if there's just one member of the party that stays consistent 
and you have new people joining every time, they'll know and they'll be like, oh, oh, this is this is Jarlaxle. Mm -hmm. We met with him in the last campaign and he interacted with our characters in this way. And the last time we saw him, he was peering at our old characters menacingly as we sailed off. So even if even if the new players didn't experience the moment, if just one of them did, they're likely going to recount it, recap it, mm -hmm. and just buzz up that excitement in them too. So, yeah, and it's one of those things as well, especially when you're using like NPC cameos, if they are yeah. um, well known, you know, like if Dritzo Erden makes an appearance in your <laughs> game, but yep. people know who that is, or at least they've got an idea, unless they're completely brand new. And if they're brand new, I probably wouldn't wouldn't do it. I'd wait yeah. until they were settled, and it would actually have an impact. Um, exactly. You know, these oh. gone. Oh, saying speaking of like NPC cameos, another way of doing that properly without tarnishing the reputation or actually having an old PC show up. And it's something I've done a few times. Descendants of the player characters. Right? Oh, oh, yes. Because, yeah, because I mean, they're living in the world, right? They don't just remain static, go on adventures the enti their entire lives, right? They have children, they have families, and those descendants, maybe they'll make an impact on the world. I've had, or recently, I had the, I think, great, 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 great grandchild of one of the old player characters show up in one of my games. That's he was cool. Prime Dordis the seventh, I believe. Mm. And my players had a field day with it because he was Prime Dordis the first, and he showed up, his child long after him and he was almost the spitting image of his old player character with a little bit of extra flair they loved it it's a fun thing to do it's also a really good way of um introducing that player character lore into yeah. newer groups as well because so for yeah. example i talked about how james and i are both very similar and we love like we read the books and we know all the lore of Faerun, and so we share the setting of course. um in tomb of annihilation he is playing a dwarf called Braylar Battlehammer who is the <laughs> uh i think like fifth line descendant of okay brunar battlehammer yeah but he is um <laughs> i love it he's basically playing a battlehammer dwarf who is a dritzed fanboy <laughs> and like has scimitars and wants to fight like dritz but he's a dwarf. Oh, no way yeah oh that's amazing that's great. so that's a lot of fun and me and him like every session we're like chuckling away like <laughs> but the other players yeah. who you know maybe haven't read about the companions of the hall they are mm -hmm. learning via role play who brunar battlehammer is and thus who yep. dritz is so if i ever wanted to use dritz for some reason boom there you go they've got a kind of idea of who this guy is because of one of the other pcs using that kind of linked backstory that's excellent it I can be it. a bit cheesy i'm not gonna lie like <laughs> it, as long as you're having fun at the table you know I yeah mean, we, if everybody's we have, laughing we've given him the nickname of braylar the bray blade because he just runs around <laughs> the map slicing people up with his scimitars now so that's a lot of fun um, that's awesome yeah it's it, it's definitely i think if you've got people who enjoy the law and they know it definitely yeah. use it definitely yeah i think i think it's well worthwhile and that brings us i think that would bring us into actual cameos now mm. i i'm not sure if you've done this multiple times before i have and i'd say it's had varying levels of success mm -hmm. and i think the most important facet of it is remembering that the old player characters 
need to show up, one, in an organic way, and two, not overshadow the party. Because if you're just placing these old PCs in the campaign just to say, oh, oh look, look, it's my old character. I mean, I don't th- I'm a fan of telling grand narratives at the table, and I, I think you are too. You, you enjoy yeah. telling compelling stories, and a lot of the story has to make sense. The old player characters can't just show up just so there's fanfare, right? Mm-hmm. They can't be a Legolas in The Hobbit. You want them to be more like Doctor Strange and Thor Ragnarok, where, okay, it would make complete sense for Doctor Strange to sense Loki and Thor returning, you know, for the first time since he's become the Sorcerer Supreme, right? Mm-hmm. It, it doesn't make sense for Legolas to join this band of dwarves and a hobbit on their trek to the Lonely Mountain, right? Yeah. It really doesn't. Yeah. So I think those are the two most important things, and they kind of roll into each other. It has to be organic. And they can't overshadow the current player characters. Yeah, I agree. Um, there are, I have a couple of different times I've done this. I think two or three that we okay. can go into. And I've got one that um, kind of worked but fizzled out. One that I think really Love worked. that phrase. Yeah, fizzled out, absolutely. Yep. Um, one that really worked. And then I have, do I have... Oh, I have one planned upcoming that I can't really talk about because I know that the players will hear this episode, but um, <laughs> I can I can skirt around it. Uh, before I yeah. tell you those, what I do want to do is say that there is one other way that you can cameo old characters in your current D&D games, and that is by using their old D&D die sets that you bought specifically for those characters. And if you're going to do that, you might as well buy them from a really good, reputable source who have premium D&D dice, like Dice Dungeon. Yes, that's right, RJ. This is the ad segment. Welcome to it. Um, I I tip my hat to you. If you... It wasn't my best one, I'll be honest. (laughs) Um, If you want to grab yourself some really nice D&D dice, and I mean really nice D&D dice, then Dice Dungeon is the place to go. Now, if you are one of the many UK viewers and you are sick of hearing about a really good product that you want to buy, but then find out that you have to pay a bunch of money on import tax because it's coming from America, then don't worry. Dice Dungeon. They're UK lads like you and me. So uh, you will get your dice shipped directly from the UK. And if you're not in the UK and you don't care about import tax and you go and look at those dice and you think, do you know what? I'm going to do it. I want them. Don't worry. They ship worldwide too. Uh, I have a set, RJ, that I have not stopped talking about for uh, probably about two months now. Okay. Give me the description. Imagine a galaxy. My eyes are closed. Blue, yellow, green, red, you know, proper space-like galactic image. Okay. Imagine that image in 3D, and then imagine shrinking that down and holding it between your thumb and forefinger. Oh, that is. Oh, yeah, that is what it is like holding the D20 for the uh, plain shard, Shadowfell dice. And I can tell you now, guaranteed they will roll high because they have not rolled low for me once and I have nearly killed three players with them. So Damn. 100% go to Dice Dungeon, use the, the link in the description below and have a look at their dice. I, I cannot recommend enough the Plain Shard dice because when I saw them, I thought, wow, they're really pretty. And then I realized they were resin and not one of the metal sets. And I thought, there's no way they're going to be as good looking as I think they are. And then I got them and they exceeded, exceeded my expectations. So go and have a look. 
And of course, remember, there's other stuff you can get on there, like books, D- actual 5e D&D books and dice and stuff. They come in lovely tins that make nice sounds like this. Ooh. Um, <laughs> and uh, you can get 10% off with the code we speak common on checkout. Uh, the other person, people, company that we should mention into the tax uh, ad segment is Describe. Now, you mentioned to me that you really love writing, RJ. I do. So are you a, are you a trepid creative writer then? I'd call myself that. And what do you do when you get writer's block? <sighs> I place a piece of paper in front of me. Mm-hmm. And I grab a pencil in my hand and I, I just start writing on that piece of paper. I, I push away the keyboard, I push away my phone, everything else, and I just rely on that blank page of paper. Why? Wow, because th- that, that is absolutely the opposite to what I do. I, I look at a blank piece of paper and I cry because I cannot break my <laughs> writer's brock. I can never break it when it sets in. Um, what I do is I sit, look at that paper, cry a little bit, make myself a cup of tea or coffee, and then I go to describe. D-S-R-C, uh, D-C-R-Y-B.com. There you go. There's a link in the description below. Uh, nice and job. They have, thank you, I know. I'm getting better every day. Okay, I'm yep. improving. Yep, yep, I heard the last one. <laughs> they have uh, incredible creative writers who probably get creative block too, but they've got a team of them, so it doesn't matter, who <laughs> I- I spend their their lives, every waking minute, writing beautiful box text for you and I to use in our D&D games. You can go and have a look. They've got creature spells and items, I believe with environments coming soon and there's like over 1500 scenes and it grows every week it's probably like over 1600 now knowing how quickly they add scenes but go and have a look there's loads you can read for free they will inspire you if not be perfect to use in your homebrew games or even Faerun games or whatever setting you're running and of course if you want to get the full collection you can get 10 percent off your monthly subscription fee by using the code common at checkout um okay ag said uh, ad segment done um let's talk actual about cameos actual cameos yeah yeah from okay. your your games okay you want to hear my examples first yeah yeah i'll go into mine after i want to hear yours okay so the first time i did this was in my quote-unquote homebrew game my my home setting i had finished running curse of strad prior which of course is set in barovia and is not really on the material plane it's in ravenloft somewhere and i had the the kind of plot to this homebrew world is that the convergence of thing that happens every every 26 years was happening and so the planes were thinning and things were coming through and so when the players decided they wanted to go to a, a local library and read all about like the history of the world and stuff they bumped into rudolph van richten who was searching for their heroes because strad had uh reawoken and and come back and so the quest was simply all you have to do while you're moving around is find your old characters and tell them to go back to barovia that was it and that was to set up like a a strad must die tonight style game that then didn't happen with those characters and stuff but it it got given um it added to their quest list and then because of some other problems I had in that campaign, it kind of just didn't go anywhere. And they were like, oh, yeah, okay. we've, we've got to do that thing. Oh, yeah, we've got to find those people. And I was like, oh, that I don't want you to be thinking like, oh, we've got to go and find these people. Um, yeah. And I think when we came back together, 
because we'd had like three years off and I had to rewrite a lot of things and stuff. And we just had to do a, like a massive recap. I ended up saying that questline doesn't exist. Pretend that didn't happen. We're not going to do that because it, okay. it had gone from a fun like, oh, we have to go and find our old characters. Yay. To, oh, we keep forgetting we've got to go find those people. Ugh. And I was like, okay. it fizzled out. Yeah, that's a fizzle out. We don't want that. <laughs> um, so that was my first experience. And I was like, OK, you need to learn from that. The most recent one and the second one I was going to talk about was in Sam's one on one game. So Sam said to me, I really want to play like a traditional D&D game, but we don't have time to put in another scheduled game of the group. Do you want it? And I said, do you want to do a one on one game? He's like, yeah, cool. So we just kind of play it whenever. And it's set in Faerun and it's really relaxed and it's really, really fun. And he started off being a member of the Xanathar's Guild in prison so his first session was a breakout and of course what's just happened in Waterdeep well the Xanathar's been killed and uh Kauri has taken over Joe's old character and yeah. uh, they're now called the locksmiths and he, I got Joe to send me like a like a basically a small book telling me what his five-year plan for the guild was and what he would be doing with them before he left so that when he comes back and I inevitably bring the dragon heist characters back together for one more hurrah um yeah i can adequately say here's what you did while you while you you were away here's what <laughs> Cowrie did while joe was away and it kind of definitely works with player vision so one of the things he said was i want to like get everyone who was a member of the xanathar's guild back in and quietly dispose of the ones who are evil and keep the ones who can be reformed into thieves basically yeah that's awesome so sam's character got broken out so he had a a link in with the locksmiths in a way not cowrie but with the locksmiths guild which is the first type of um cameo and then without me planning it he i i said to him that he had to his mission was to like outfit himself for a 26 day journey um to go and visit a druid grove but he was to do it his own way and to prove himself to the emerald enclave and he went to uh, Trollskull Alley, where the characters uh, of that adventure have their yep. bar, right? Of course. And he had a. Um, I use a a supplement that allows you to improve weapons, and the way you improve them is through. Okay. The, well, the two crafters in Waterdeep are a dwarf and Goliath who work together. The dwarf is the rune. Uh, is the um smithy and he does all the like the smelting and stuff and the yeah goliath is the is a really gentle quiet goliath who carves intricate runes onto gemstones to give magical effects to weapons and he had one of their knives and he was going to go and sell it back to them so that he could have some money to buy some things and while there he had this collar on his neck from the prison that didn't allow him to cast magic. And he was like, can you break it off for me? And the dwarf said, yes, if you stop those kids from playing outside my store. The kids were the children. This is such a long-winded story. I'm so sorry. The kids were oh, the awesome. urchins that you can use in Dragon Heist if you want to. They're like an yep. optional thing. Who yeah. The previous group, actually, like they adopted them. So like they, they became their children. Um, so he had to like talk to them. And in doing so, there was a moment where the two boys came like running out onto the street and um nat the girl was like on her balcony like yeah like annoyed with them or shouting at them or something and as (laughs) i described him like 
you know his attention look at, looking away from the boys who are like sticking their tongues out to this girl on the balcony he looks up to the balcony and a woman comes out and like puts her hand on her shoulder and says something and they go inside and the woman is lilith so he saw her from a distance yeah. like yeah, yeah, yeah. living her life and doing some things but he didn't talk to her and he didn't um you know in like have any interaction with her but it all happened organically because i wasn't planning yep. for him to go to that street you know sam was like i'm gonna go there because the shop's there and i was like great well yep. who's there all of those people let's use them so Definitely. i think that one worked really well because it wasn't like that kind of shoehorned forced okay you're gonna have to talk to your old characters um exactly i mean the only other example i can think of really quick off the bat is okay. when i've been a player so orlo is my player character in one of james's games and he is in Waterdeep mm-hmm. with that group and he was like a, an npc while i was dming so the characters could go to him and ask him for stuff and that was kind of it but occasionally james would run me a game and i would need a, 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 a player to join me so wesley made up yeah. a drow artificer who also has a shop in Waterdeep. so occasionally their group would go to that shop and he would end up talking as two characters in the same room and that was always <laughs> fun um, that is a difficult situation i gotta say <laughs> yeah i mean he wesley is an incredible role player and he handled it mm-hmm. perfectly and i think that was the the definitely the better way of handling it than me role playing his old character definitely that, that is something we should talk about but first i want to hear your experiences with doing direct cameos all right so direct cameos in my campaigns so the first was when the former player character of my first campaign Dead Isles of Alteran, uh, cameoed in my second campaign, near the climax mm. of this campaign. The characters of the current one were seeking out these scattered keys that accessed an ancient soul prison deep below the earth that was created by gnomes to store souls in uh, that they would then wipe clean and insert into the husks of Warforged because... Sick. Way back when, yeah, way back when, that's that's how gnolls, gnomes created the Warforged. They'd capture the souls of, you know, dragons, halflings, devils, and then they'd completely, like, erase all the memories and fragments of that soul's being, and then put them into the husk of, you know, wood and other materials. That's so, really cool. So the whole the whole point of this uh, campaign was to get into this prison and stop some great conflict from ensuing. And they were having issues finding this final key. And little did they know, the old player character that was level 20, uh, you know, he's a plane hopper at this point, mm. uh, had done a favor for one of the, the patrons of the party and recovered this key. So when they're searching for this final key that they need, looking through this vast dungeon that was overseen by this icy beholder who controlled a Warforged Colossus. That's one of my favorite encounters I think I've ever made. It was a beholder and a Warforged Colossus all in one. Great That's encounter. Cool. Very That's fun. Cool. Um, but they're, they're trying to find this key. And this character, uh, his name is White Crow. He's an albino drow. My, uh, my player characters, they were pretty edgy. We were edgy when we were, what, was it 17? That's pretty cool, though. Yeah. I like I it. 17 or 18, something like that. He was an albino drow called White Crow. I like the uh, edginess. I can appreciate that. It was, it was good. He, he appeared with the final key and, you know, had a brief conversation with his former, you know, player, right? And the current character. And that was a great moment. So they can loved I... Seeing- 
interrupt yeah. and ask, yeah. how did you go about role playing that? Like, because for me, I think if I was going to, like, yep. let's say I sat Joe down in a new group and I role played myself as Cowrie, I'd feel really <laughs> weird about doing that. I totally understand you. I, so we played in that campaign with White Crow for, I think, two and a half years. Mm-hmm. And I, like, like we talked about earlier, always pay attention to the expressions on your players' faces. But I also make sure to pay attention to how they perceive their character in the world and how mm-hmm. they portray them. And I take extensive notes. So <laughs> when, when I knew that I wanted to showcase uh, White Crow in the current world and that he's having a massive impact on the trouble of the day, I went back. I studied my old notes. I looked at, okay, this is, this was his mannerism. And I thought back into my head and said, okay, he really saw himself as, you know, this edgy character that would appear from an unexpected place and would have short one-liners and would only stay as long as he needed to stay. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I had all this wrapped around in my head. So when the moment finally came, you know, I, I was to the point with my words. I had a dramatic entrance for White Crow, you know, he only stayed up until that second that he needed to. I, I tried to really stay true to how the player portrayed them, uh, yeah. portrayed him. And I think that that's key. You know, organic entrance, not overshadowing the current player characters, and staying true to the former player's vision for that character. Mm-hmm. So that's really what I did. I, I studied it a little bit. I spent some time reflecting because I knew this moment was incoming. They'd have hints to-, to it beforehand. I knew I wanted this character to make an entrance. So it wasn't as, you know, random or organic as your player traveling to Troll Skull Alley and mm-hmm. seeing Lilith there. I had some time to prepare for it. But even if I hadn't, I think I would, I would take a moment before I started speaking as that character. And th- I would think back to how the player portrayed them. Because I think... If you tarnish their vision of that character, you're, you're failing. You, you don't want to skew people's perception. You don't want to, you know, make a memory murky and destroy it, right? You want to you wanna enlighten them. You want to showcase, hey, this was someone you played for weeks or months or years. They're still here and they're still how you remember them with, you know, with some extra layers added on top. Yeah, I think that's, yeah, okay, you've pretty much nailed the advice there i think um because that's made me feel very confident about maybe trying it in the future uh dude oh god yeah that would be so cool i think if i Mm -hmm. if i encountered like i i have a character in descent who um has done a lot much like james's character in waterdeep who went on to become the black staff's apprentice and might one day become the black staff depending on how long we wait until we see him again Mm-hmm. My character in Descent has gone on to become a, one of the Dukes of Baldur's Gate, and should oh. they be successful, have is a, a champion of the uh, the Pit Fiend who will no longer be a Pit Fiend, but the the demigod who will be in charge of Avernus. So yeah, like he's a he's a big deal in in his own thing now, mm-hmm. in his own right. And when I finally stop playing as him, which I never want to do right now, I'm still very much. <laughs> I want to take him to twenty because he's at thirteen now. I want to take him to twenty. Um, but if I were to leave him for a while and then have him appear in my game, I'd lose my mind. You know. Yep. Yep. Yeah. That's 
that's the situation that happened there. That that's what my, my players were just. Oh my gosh, mm-hmm. it's him. They knew it too. When I didn't go with just saying it's White Crow, I described the the broken, pale skin of his face, the 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 white, stark white hair, purple eyes, the speed in his step, and even though the characters at that point were, I think, thirteenth level. I described that the deafness, the dexterity of this formerly 20th level character, how even they accomplished adventurers that were fighting beholders and warforged colossi couldn't even track the movement of this man. Yeah. So, yeah. So just watching their faces unfold. Oh, I loved it. It was good. It was an enjoyable experience, I must say. And yeah. that was only the first. I don't know. Do we do we have time to go into the other ones or did you want to talk about us uh, elaborate on other things? Uh, we can do one more because I'm enjoying this. <laughs> okay, all right, all right. I have to choose my favorite one. Okay, we'll choose. We'll choose a different one. On the other end of the spectrum, mm-hmm. White Crow remained a hero. Kalatoric called the Frozen Kobold. I can tell he... in the way you said his <laughs> name that this is good. <laughs> he suffered an embarrassing death. Oh, in my again, my first campaign. He was crushed by a rolling boulder trap. Destroyed bludgeon beyond uh, beyond recovery. That's a bad way to go. And yep, and he was a warlock of Levistus, mm-hmm. the archduke of St- or archdevil of Stygia. And his soul went, of course, to Stygia, went to Beator, then to Stygia, and he continued to pursue his dream of becoming an archdevil, powerful enough to rival, you know, in my world, Tifa Moth, and most others, Asmodeus. Mm-hmm. In my current campaign, one of the player characters, the player who portrayed Kalator <gasps> all the way back in 2015, no, is a warlock. No! Was a warlock of the frozen kobold. And, oh yes, it's fantastic. And so I was able to portray the former player character who's now grown massively in power in the hundreds of years that have passed since that first campaign and has not become an archdevil yet, but is powerful enough to bestow packed magic upon a warlock. Mm. And it's been lovely and it, it ended violently oh. because the current player character, he found a white dragon egg deep in a hatchery uh that was run by a, a group of kobold kobold uh killers called the headhunter clan and he found this this white dragon egg and he he recovered it nursed it and it hatched and kalatoric sees this white dragon as a weapon to be wielded mm-hmm. but the current player character not so much. He saw the, the innocence of the white dragon because in my world, not all, you know, dragons are inherently evil, mm-hmm. right, from birth, right? Mm-hmm. You can, you have a chance to nurture them, right? Mm-hmm. So Kalatoric, uh, sorry, not Kalatoric, the current player character, he'd lost his family. He saw this white dragon wormling as a chance to, to have a family of his own, to, to have a child, to raise it, to be, you know, a partner, a companion. But his patron, Kalatoric, saw it as a potential weapon of mass destruction. And <laughs> ultimately, it came to a head where Kalatoric uh, severed his connection 
to the current player character, so the player character lost their warlock abilities and stole away the white dragon warmbling oh. named Avalanche. So now, Avalanche is lost to this potential archdevil. He's become a villain in the current campaign. He's a thorn in the player character's side, and he's, you know, concurrently pursuing one of the same goals as the group. So what started as a poor kobold warlock who was crushed in this hallway and this death trap dungeon has become a potential major villain in a campaign that's really six cool. years down the road. That's really So that's cool. the cameo. It's, I, ever, it's ongoing. So, yeah. I can't believe that you were brave enough to take away the group's puppy, basically. That's, that's oh a gosh. bold move, man. There, after that first session, um, one of my players made a meme, and it, it's that meme where, oh, you know, I just met, or I just met this dog or whatever. I've had it for five minutes, and I will die for them. I, I, can't, I think it's from Brooklyn Nine-Nine, mm-hmm. something like that. But players loved Avalanche, loved the portrayal of this little innocent wormling who was chomping away at any food that he could find and, you know, freezing it solid and learning how to fly. That's because I'm, cool. I, I had the Draconomicon, which describes the first moments of a, of a wormling. Yes. Oh, it was, it was fantastic. They loved it. And I took him away. <sighs> You're an so, evil, evil man. It's, it, hey, it's a compelling plot point and it works. So, mm. yeah. So those are the two player character cameos that that have showcased in my campaigns and they've been wildly successful. The latter one obviously wasn't as excitable of a moment, but oh, the dread yeah. in their eyes, the the uh, the baggage attached to this cobalt. They all they all knew it. And, you know, it's made the game better. And that's the goal, isn't it? To make the game better. Yep. So, yeah, well, of course, done, man, that is I love it. I um, I think then the only thing that's left to say is uh, before we just do like a, a little roundup of the final tips and tricks is um, the other two types of smaller cameos that I think I use that we haven't really touched on. So yeah. and, and your story is a perfect segue into the first one, which is uh, f- uh, former dead PCs or former PCs who are now mm-hmm. dead. So this has only come up quite recently for me because i'm running tomb annihilation and it's deadly i mean we've played 14 sessions and we've had three deaths so Ooh. yeah it's um god we had grinder we had we are playing on me grinder as well but we had um oh nice one death happened and then we had a three-week break before we could play again so <sighs> you know we were all excited to come together the player had a chance to like mourn their death and sort of come to terms with it and get them get into their new character we're excited for the new characters yeah. come along we started the session with a funeral and we ended the session with another one oh that's so, right same player uh no it wasn't thank the gods oh my god i they would i don't know what i could have done to make that okay <laughs> like i it, they i would have said if you want to leave the table it's fine <laughs> yeah, that would have been awful um yeah. no it was it was another player unfortunately but yeah so the thing that um i want to be doing and things that i want to be thinking about in the future it's pretty tricky if the characters aren't you know if they're low level and they haven't done much yet if a character dies and they've been with the party for a long time you know they're 10th to 15th or whatever level and they've done something decent like something memorable then yeah having their name in stone somewhere 
for it literally if you want to yeah. like have a statue somewhere of them that's a nice thing maybe yeah. maybe one gets put up you don't tell the players it's put up until they stumble they go back there you know they have a big fight in a certain city their character dies they mourn they have a funeral they leave and then 70 sessions later they come back you know maybe you're in a different campaign they go I'm back doing to that. that city excellent idea ben there's the statue you know um the one i did for a character so our first character to die in tim annihilation um died on a test excursion to the jungles the characters said we're gonna Aww. we're gonna go out to the jungles we're gonna see what it's like and then we're gonna go back to fort balerian and then we'll do our proper excursion and when they got back Ugh. to the fort uh, a letter had arrived for the character who had died so the players obviously were like oh that's awkward okay and i saw the player go <laughs> no a letter like oh i've missed it i'm dead <laughs> but it was a chance for um because obviously the players open it and read it yeah it was a chance to it was something i was going to do for that player anyway to spur them on in the campaign in the storyline so i just kept it in and in a way it's helped spur the player on because they're yeah. like, oh, I'm going to fix the, the death curse for my current reasons, but also because I know doing it will help my old reasons as well, even though I'm not exactly. playing that character anymore. So, you know, there's there's a couple of little cameos you can do there with deaths. Um, and then the other one, the other really small one, for example, I have an NPC in Sam's one-on-one game who is becoming a very favoured NPC of Sam's particularly, because it's his one-on-one campaign, but other players guessed <laughs> for like three or five sessions at a time or for one story arc. Um, and join him every now and then and that npc who you know was it i didn't plan for him to have i planned for him to have an npc at some point so that he had someone to help him if he went down for something for some sort of stupid reason um you know like he got hit by something that was overly powered or something and i needed a way to him not to just end the campaign there but the character the npc has turned into someone like uh, like another player character in his in their own right in that kind of level like a dmpc but like someone who mm-hmm. he would like if he was being played by another player that's the kind of level of role play and appreciation he has for the npc so i yeah. can foresee in the future that npc making cameos later in that campaign when he leaves the group mm-hmm. and then appears down the line but also in other campaigns if he survives so you can do it with npcs too if the players have yep. met an npc you've created and they love bring them back at some yeah. point yeah, definitely. I completely agree. I've done that with an Afrisi named Magma4. You have got some really good names, man. You're going to have to give me some tips and tricks. Ma- oh, Ben, why you say that? I came up with Magma4 on the spot. I was just thinking, um, oh, a fire? Oh, he's in a magma field? Magma4! Magma4! <laughs> oh, it was it was wrong. But I, my players love the, the character and love the name, too, so maybe I do something right. I, I, I have definitely done the same, but usually... It's like, oh yeah, his name is Greg. <laughs> so, but then they love Greg. So there's Greg. He's there. He lives. Yeah, whatever works. Whatever makes our games better, Ben. Mm-hmm. Okay, let's. Um, we've talked for a while. Let's round this off and do quick fire tips for cameos. Uh, you can have maximum of five. What have you got for me? Okay, here we go. So first and foremost, player character cameos are stellar ways to highlight that your world is living, breathing, and changing with all the actions Mm -hmm. that the players uh, partake in. You can, you know, have these player characters appear in stories of the past, you know, a bard singing at a bar in an ancient tome somewhere. You can have artifacts that they wielded 
ages ago show up in a current campaign or even villains that you thought they dispatched reappear. Mm. You can have the actual characters themselves show up as well, but you need to make sure that they don't overshadow the other player characters, the current player characters, because the stories being told at the table at the moment, those characters are the ones that need to stay in the spotlight. If you have old player characters show up, make sure it's organic and make sure it doesn't take away from the current plot. Do you know what? I think you've done my job for me there. The only thing I'm going to add is the thing that you said at the start of the episode. Watch your players' faces and use that yes. use that expression, use that knowledge and make informed choices based off of it. Most definitely. Fantastic. Well, look, this has been very very fun i've had a lot i've it's been really enjoyable i've had a lot of fun having uh, having this chat so thank you very much for joining me before we say our goodbyes and do the old outro shtick um please remind everyone where you are on the internet and if you would like to plug what you're doing currently by all means go for it okay thanks thank you ben so i'm rj I write articles every week on rjd20.com, and I also post videos on my YouTube channel with the same name. You can follow me on Twitter to hear my musings about D&D and other tabletop role-playing games at rjd20writes. And currently, I'm working on my second supplement, which will be titled Villain Backgrounds Volume 2. So I really enjoy villains. I really enjoy delving into them, portraying them, and helping others make compelling ones so that's my uh, next project but i think i think you you were right in what you said i've had an excellent time talking to you ben i i hope in the future maybe we can do it again because this has been phenomenal 100 percent, absolutely i'd love to have you back on and if you ever i say this to everyone but if you ever think of a topic like when listeners come up with topics i want to hear about them because i want to talk about them and if you've been on the show before and you you think ah oh, i want to talk about this on on we speak common again just hit me up and we'll sort it out. We'll make it happen. Um, and of course, as ever, your payment for that plug is to let me play in one of your D&D games one time. So I will wait for that invite. Um, <laughs> uh, right. As ever, if you do want to get in touch with me or just the the podcast in general, then we are everywhere. We speak common on Twitter, Instagram. Uh, we're on YouTube, which is just a another way to listen if you find podcast platforms tedious and annoying. If not, every platform of your choice um if you want to support the show as always the best way to do it the 100 percent best way is to support us on patreon but if that's not your bag if you don't want to do that i understand the next best thing you can do is just tweet about us tell people about us share people um the episodes that you love and build this community because building a community is how i meet people like rj and it is what i live for so do that and if you do want to jump on the patreon uh, there's a link below or on the link tree slash we speak common.com and it's it's on there you can have a look you get access to a private discord server where we are chatting and talking all the time about DD. we are giving each other hints and tips we're giving each other homebrew items we're building encounters and now we have uh, play by post and role play areas on the discord server too so if you want to get involved with that that's your main draw to the patreon as well as of course my small bits of writings like Aramin's Tome of Foes or, most recently, The Expanded Poisoned Condition. You can have a look at uh, at those if you feel like it. But um, I think that's it. I think we're done. So thank you again, RJ. And yes, we will get you back one day, I swear. Awesome. Thanks, Ben. It's been a great time. See you later. See ya. See ya.
Thanks for listening today. If you like the show, do us a favor, leave us a like and review on your platform of choice and share us with your friends. Send us to your fellow DMs and players so that we can build our community even more. It really helps to get us out in front of more eyes. If you want to support the show, you can by joining our Patreon. Links can be found in the show description and the episode descriptions on all platforms. The music in the podcast is Street Dancing by Timecrawler82. It's licensed under a Creative Commons license by NC. You can find it on the Free Music Archive. Thank you.